Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Sam. So this week is, we're back to Scotland, firstly we're going back to Scotland, and this has been another requested one by quite a few people actually, so I thought it was about time we should probably get around and do it. So this week I'm going to tell you about the mysterious death of Annie Buddison. Samantha, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know who I'm talking about? Do you know anything? Never heard of it before, nope. Really? That's not a shock anyway. <laughs> yeah, you a few people have messaged us on Instagram about this, I'm sure. And people have said to me, I think my mum and that's gone on about it. I think. So, yeah. So this is a Scotland one. And as I say, she actually lived in Edinburgh for a while. So I will get started. I'm going to kind of, there's a lot of information about this one. And this was actually probably the hardest one to research. I kind of stuck to a couple articles so I'll probably link them as well onto the comment bit and put them in our Instagram but some bits go back and forward so I'll try and keep you all on the same track but if I end up confusing things now just tell me. Okay so this all happens on Sunday the 4th of December in 2005 and it's the main the main place is a beach in Presswick and it's your typical kind of cold Scottish morning at roughly 8.30am when a man sees what he thinks is a girl sunbathing on the beach, but it's a beach in Preston. In December. In December, yeah. <laughs> so this girl was lying on the beach, and as he got closer, he realised it was the body of a woman. And she was lying face down onto the sand, and she was covered in sand and seaweed, wearing jeans, a red top, and trainers. So obviously, he's realised this isn't somebody sunbathing, and it's actually the body of somebody deceased. And he phones the police. Now, the part of the beach she was actually found at, I like Googled into like where about exactly it was and basically where she was it's like flat for several hundreds of meters out to the sea and it's beside like a wall and the water doesn't get to like more than about a meter high there and sometimes the water doesn't actually even touch it so just remember that because at first obviously he's thinking she's maybe washed up but sometimes the water doesn't even reach the part she's found. Now the police come and get the girl's body and what they do is they corner off the scene and they move her but they put gloves on her first on her hands and they take her to Kilmarnock Hospital Um, beside her there was a jacket and two bags next to her body two days later on the 7th of December local paper which I think is the Ayrshire Post if I'm correct um share this in their papers. I'm going to quote it word for word for you. So an area of Presswick Beach was cornered off at the weekend after a woman's body was found upon the shore. A dog walker discovered the 31-year-old woman's body about 8.30am on Sunday near to Marybro Road. A police investigation team quickly sealed off the area but there are no suspicious circumstances around her death. So that came out two days after the body was found on the beach and she hasn't been named at this time. Now there's an investigator that I'm going to mention quite a few times and his name was Kenneth Roy. He seemed to be like a journalist as far as I can get. Like he was a kind of journalist. It wasn't anything to do with the police. It was just he basically took a concern and an interest by this article because what he'd said was the assumption to the report that there was no suspicious circumstances and innuendo commonly used by the police to rule out foul play and suggest the probability of suicide. Now when this article was released, the autopsy was completed in Air Hospital and they were being done at the same time. 
so the actual like ver like the verdict I don't know the word of the autopsy wasn't out yet but a paper had already said it was not suspicious so he basically began investigating this then and there up until his death in 2018 now when I read that he died the part of me that loves um what's it called conspiracy theories was like <gasps> but he actually died of natural causes <laughs> So, oh, well. yeah, sad that he died, but also sad it wasn't suspicious. Um, so the autopsy had then said, the post-mortem, it was noted that the body was heavily contaminated by sand and seaweed and the lungs were congested, that the air passages contained a frothy material. The conclusion was death by drowning. Now, the girl is identified as a Swedish national called Annie Budison, I'm believing is how we pronounce her second name. She was actually 30, not 31, as the paper said. Now, she was born near the city of Malmö in Sweden on the 7th of February 1975, and she was the second of four children. Her dad was actually Hungarian and her mum was Swedish, so she was both Hungarian and Swedish. But that was one of the six languages that she spoke fluently. I know that the other was English, and I think she spoke both obviously Hungarian and Swedish, but I'm not 100% sure what the other languages was. So Annie was five foot eight and very athletic with the kind of poster girl Swedish look. She had that beautiful blonde hair, blue eyes, and she was a really, really pretty girl. She was a very talented musician and she actually formed a band with her siblings and they actually played all over Europe. Um, Are you going to tell me it's ABBA? <laughs> oh my god, it's not. Sadly, it's not ABBA. Um, she was a good swimmer, she was really lively and she was really chatty. In 1987, she moved near Stockholm with her family and that's where she studied music. She met her best friend Maria there um, in a restaurant. I think they maybe worked there. Don't quote me on that. Um, but basically Maria said she knew everything about Annie that there was to know and she was always just a generally happy girl. Now, Annie studied hospitality and went to work like odd jobs and played live music at the weekends with her siblings. And then she decided to move over to Scotland from her native home in Sweden in the autumn of 2004. And she lived in the Linton Court Apartments, which is in Dalry in Edinburgh. I can't work out exactly where they are, but I know, like I've mapped it, it's in Dalry, but I'm not 100% sure. So she lived in Edinburgh for this time for just over a year and she really enjoyed the city. She really liked the like oldness of it and she thought it was great. She was actually working here at the Scottish Whiskey Heritage Centre on a year scholarship um, she was a model citizen basically she really enjoyed it however she found it challenging to redeem, retain residency in this country and she actually moved back to Sweden in August of 2005 however she loved Scotland so much and decided to come back in the late October now she was looking for a job but she didn't find anything as of yet and she actually had unemployment insurance which I didn't really know what that was but it must be something like if you're abroad, can't yeah, I'm not too sure what that is, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, so going back to, like, when she was found. Um, so on her possession at the time she was found, she had two Swedish library books that were due to be returned, her passport, and they also found out that she had an appointment booked in Sweden for the following day to get her hair cut. Now, the police called her parents home at 7.30pm the day she died to inform her mother of the death. And then a few days later, they actually told her that it was death by suicide. She was then transported back to Sweden two weeks later to be buried and have her funeral there. Now, the funeral director, I think, that obviously in Sweden that her mum had kind of got to know, was told of like her beautiful hair and how she looked, etc. But when the body arrived, she actually couldn't recognise her. So basically, her hair had been both pulled and cut from her scalp. 
it didn't naturally come out. This had been pulled from her scap. The undertaker, whose name I think was Goon, noticed lots of bruising on her body. The right arm and the side had a size of a palm marking on it and there was bruising behind her right ear. Um, her mum also noticed these marks like all over her body as well. Now Goon, the um, undertaker, is convinced she was attacked and murdered as there were thumb impressions around her neck. Now, pieces of her body tissue were removed during the postmortem and they were examined by RMV, like, which is the uh, Swedish Forensic Services, and they sent bone marrow of Annie's body to a professor in Strasbourg for analysis and they found diatom cell shells, like tiny diatom shells, which basically is a sample identified as navicula lacelotia, I think it is. I'm not very good at science, but I'll sum this up, right? This is basically unaccepted. Uh, un expected because it's far from Cavernin she drowned it basically says it's fresh water rather than seawater diatom you oh get me? yeah right I get that now because I was like what are you talking about yeah so basically testing from her bone marrow like I know absolutely nothing about science so if someone knows how this is all done like please because I tried to start googling it and honestly I had to take a break tell me how they do this because they basically found it was fresh water um so, like, do you know, if she was suggested to die in seawater, so further analysis was actually offered by this person pro bono to see if she had drowned by seawater, but they needed some of her other organs to do this. And the Swedish authorities refused this and Scottish authorities were unhelpful as well. So this was actually never able to be done, which I don't understand when... Suspicious. Well, yeah, this is what I don't understand. See, when it comes to things like this, when it's like, oh, we think this is the wrong answer can we try it and like a authority says no I mean I feel like it should be up to the families then like the next of kin do you know like if I die and someone's like yeah this is how Caitlin died then it's like actually someone believes otherwise like let them test if they've got a good enough reason and I feel like all this scientific stuff that's going on in the moment is a very good reason that basically wasn't done which is unfortunate so um all her injuries as well were never mentioned in the initial report and no inquest was done at all by the Scottish what? authorities. Yeah, nothing was done. And like, as I said, none of this was mentioned in like the initial report. Um, so yeah, we're just shooting forward a couple of years. But on the 13th of December, the Procurator Fiscal wrote to the family, informing them, so I'm sure this is a Scottish one, that they have the samples, but they will be retained and not destroyed, but they will not be released other to the skilled person for a specific purpose so basically the authorities have the body tissue which could confirm whether or not she died by drowning but for unexplained reasons they're not ready to part with them basically so what, we're just going to keep them in storage forever and yeah be none the wiser yeah so i don't really understand that also university received two samples of blood and one sample of urine labeled annie um, burrison from a consultant pathologist at crosshouse hospital which is in kilmarnock who basically was actually on the instructions of the procurator fiscal. Now, the toxologist uh, analysed, sorry, the two samples for drug use and they found 19 milligrams of alcohol per 100 millilitres of blood, which is well under the drink driving limit. Um, so she had, it was like, if she had, it would have been a small quantity the night before. There was also no drugs in her body or nothing detected. Um, also, just want to kind of make a note of the investigation uh, the Scottish police did which was basically they didn't they didn't ask any lifeguard or lifeboat to like assist to look for any of her belongings there was no house to house inquiries done um, there was basically they did this thing like nose rinsing 
that can help determine like how where her last like how she kind of breathed last was it water that wasn't done no fibers or anything were taken from her clothes no swabs were taken nothing but this is all the family that are saying this but no one's then came out and said we did like you know it doesn't make sense and as i said going back to what i said earlier about the tides like there like sign was scientific evidence obtained to figure out if her body could go from the beach to where her body was found was the tide no the family said that nothing was ever checked if it was actually possible for her body to be washed up there so my question is if it was suicide why was she also found in a beach in Ayrshire when well Presswick Ayrshire Presswick sorry why did I say, is that Ayrshire yeah yeah it is Ayrshire oh, yeah so why want to quote it sorry so yeah why would she be found at a beach in Presswick if she also lived in Edinburgh yeah. now she was last seen on the 3rd of December 2005 and she was traveling from Edinburgh to Presswick she was going to Presswick Airport where she would fly with Ryanair home. Now, Presswick Airport, I think everyone listening to this probably know what it is, but when you actually Google it, it's Presswick Glasgow Airport, but it's nowhere near Glasgow. It's, at, it's 80 miles away from Edinburgh and it is nowhere near Glasgow. So you actually then have to travel from Glasgow to Presswick Airport. So she also, before she'd gone, had paid a month's advance rent, had got a membership for a swim, etc. So, and as I said, booked an appointment for when she was in Sweden. So all of this isn't the acts of somebody who doesn't think they're going to be around for long. So a member of staff at her flat um, had saw her there at 1.30pm on the day she was last seen. And Presswick CCTV picks her up at 3.15pm. Um, How did she get there? Like, that is so quick. That's an hour and 45 minutes to get from Wait. Edinburgh City Centre to Presswick yeah. Airport. I'm sure it took me like two hours when I was younger to get there. Well, also, she got the train. Oh. So she got the train, apparently, from Edinburgh to Glasgow, then to Presswick. Now, that is a lot of travelling. So her family maybe suspected she got a lift or someone drove her. But there's actually CCTV of her in Glasgow Central. Now, while she's in Glasgow Central Station, Annie attempted to withdraw £100 and then £50 from her credit card, but both actually failed. But when she was found, she had a £300 cheque on her that she'd been cashed in. So I don't also know why she was trying to withdraw the money. Like, that's a lot of money. And what was it for? If she's got this um, cheque on her as well, maybe she was trying to find somewhere to cash the cheque in, but couldn't. Um, so I don't know why she had that money on her, what she used it for, because I don't think it was actually spent on anything um so what i'm thinking is she's maybe been driven to glasgow and then the train but nobody's really sure why so also why presswick because obviously as you know edinburgh and glasgow have airports that fly to yeah, sweden but, but i think that, well cheaper flights but then i think it's because she doesn't live in like stockholm anymore so i think she was getting a flight to they checked and there was actually a flight to gothenburg at 6.30 that evening and then the next morning. So that would make sense if she was getting a 6.30 flight to Sweden to arrive at roughly 3.15. Now, mm -hmm. assuming, like we're assuming she was going home. This actually isn't confirmed for two reasons. Firstly, her family didn't know. But obviously, she had the hairdresser's appointment the, the next morning. However, the main thing is she had no pre-booked ticket for either of those flights. Oh. She had no like none at all so she might have been able to buy like a standby ticket at the airport 
and you know that's maybe why she was trying to get cash out um but you know she also kept money in the file of facts that she carried everywhere but basically yeah according to CCTV, cctv as well it would have actually been impossible for her to inquire about the standby ticket as she was in the terminal for less than five minutes so the cctv then picked her up around three sixteen, and she's outside the terminal building walking towards the car park and she's entered from like the walkway used escalator which takes passengers down into like a big kind of part and then she goes through the automatic doors to the car park why is she going to the car park like this doesn't make any sense right and just to confuse everything a little bit more the cctv timings say that she accomplished this journey i've just described in 55 seconds however in 2013 which is eight years later at the exact same time the guy was saying about kenny roy got a team to reconstruct this whole movement and it actually took them one minute 32 seconds to get from a to b across a deserted concourse well, someone's so, playing with these cameras. Well, that's what people have then maybe suggested because all these times do not make sense. So the timeline of her last day is really quite messy. Like, it is quite messy. So the Kenny Roy, I will link this because he's written a massive kind of Scottish review thing about it. And I've actually just, I'm going to read through what he says is like his logistical timetable. So this is not confirmed this is not 100% right this is what he thinks maybe happened so Annie catches the 104 from Haymarket which arrives at Queen Street around 150 so this means that the woman that works in her apartment complex is wrong and she's maybe got her times wrong she then goes to Central and arrives at the cash machine at 2.15 she boards the 2.30 for air disembarks at Presbrook International around 3.15 and walks through the overhead walkway to the terminal building but even then that means that most cameras she's on have missed something However, there is a flaw in this scenario, right? Of course there is. There is no CCTV to show that she's on the passing of the 2.30 train, which would have been packed and everything. However, the police have failed to find her on that train. So, back to to her at the airport. So, as we'd said, she's heading for the airport car park. Why? Why are you heading into an airport car park? There's no bank machines there. It's only ticket machines. So, was she meeting somebody? Was she going to find somebody? Was she going to do something? Absolutely no idea. So basically, yeah, she's seen back in the walkway on her way out of the airport. So after a two and a quarter journey from Edinburgh, she was in Presswick for all of four minutes and 41 seconds. So then what she did is she started walking a mile towards Presswick, a town which she didn't know. There's no proof. And they don't know if she actually went on pavement or dual carriageway at roughly half three, four o'clock in December. So she's gone to Presswick Airport and hasn't done anything about a flight. So even like going back to that, she wasn't booked on a flight, she was maybe just going to get one. She didn't even look into getting one. So she was then spotted at 16.05 on CCTV again on Station Road and between half three and half uh, half three, half four and five, a witness had saw her. Now, another question again, was the figure on station road her and was the figure on the beach her as well? So this witness comes forward who was a local man who went for a walk along the promenade at Presswick around 4.30 that afternoon on the Saturday 3rd of December in the company of a friend that came up from England. Now, they were both distracted in their conversation at the sight of a person on the shore at low tide. 
Now, this person was a long way out, about 150 yards away from them. And they reckoned that this person was just standing motionless at the edge of the water. So they walked to the end of the prom and turned for home 20 minutes ago, 20 minutes later, basically. And the person was still standing there looking out to sea like no one else was on the beach apart from this dog and its owner. But this girl or boy was standing at the water. Um, so it occurred to this people, it occurred to these people, occurred to these men that the person might be contemplating suicide. But and he mentioned this possibility to his friend, but they thought no more about it. Which boo! If you think someone's gonna commit suicide, do something about that. Don't be like, oh, they look a bit suicidal. Yeah. Anyway, like, be a nice person. Like, go and ask if they're okay. Um, but basically, yeah, they didn't believe there was any circumstances. They were pretty fine yeah so this guy went to the police when they were obviously looking for and kind of said yeah now for the police like this was basically the kind of like generous thing it's an idea of her really do you know what i mean is that she's what she's gone to the airport she's then walked down down to the beach and then prepared to take her own life now they see obviously these men have seen this person for 150 feet away so how can you say who that is but also if it was her on Station Road as well, and her family are actually extremely dubious that it was, it's basically like she wasn't seen on the CCTV cameras going into Presswick Town Centre, but the cameras as well that were used on Station Road are so, so bloody that they can't actually work out the gender of the person either. But also, how, okay, so say it is her on Station Road. What then happened? How, where did she then go? And where was she between half four at night to 8 30 the next morning now her family had actually been to scotland before but they actually make a trip in 2008 three years after her death and they go to Prescott, they go to the airport and have a walk around and they actually light some candles by the beach etc and meet with some of the locals now her mum and it's actually her mum and Maria, her friend that come over and they start basically talking about the man's statement of what happened seen you know, on the beach and they were actually shocked that the people they were talking to knew the person that made the statement so a family member went to see if he was home and he was actually really nice the guy and actually went and met with them and allowed him to record his statement and the man basically told her mum and her friend Maria that it was his friend that first drew attention to the person at the water and they agreed it was unusual the person was of medium height they didn't actually see them carrying a bag and the witness was unable to say if it was actually a male or female so there is no way we can actually say that was her. If they can't even say if it was a male or female, how can you make it out to be the specific person? There's also a couple of bits now that are just kind of bits. So I'm not 100% sure when these all happened, but there's just bits of this case that also just make me feel a bit like, ooh. So wherever she went, Annie always carried a file of facts. And someone said it was like naturally part of her, like, her friend Maria had said that like she'd put small folders in it, funny things, wrote down quotes, new words, expressions, everything that was interest, but everything she ever needed was in this file of facts. Now it contained the names and contact details of many of her friends in Edinburgh, it, and it would have been really useful to actually trace like the week before her death, etc. But the file of facts was not recovered from the beach at Presswick. And actually, when our partner was searched, it wasn't there either. So, like, where did that go? Where is it? Yeah, where yeah. to go? If it's not in her flat and it's not in her bag, like, where is that? Now, here's where it gets a bit even more weird. Now, obviously they can't find her file of facts, so they're like, we'll have a look. And when they 
when she passed, her family obviously accessed her emails and all emails had been deleted. And her friend Maria said there was absolutely no logs of their calls from all of 2005. So she contacted her phone company and basically said that and they were like, oh, sorry, we can't do anything because of data protection. So the family's campaign for a fatal action inquiry starts to gather support in Scotland. And I think Alex Salmond as well actually met with her mum. Um, however, there was a few unsettling incidents. So Maria, the best friend's phone, would ring repeatedly. But when she answered, there was just silence on the other end. There was also problems accessing the family's email accounts. Now, these basically started escalating after Maria sent an email pointing out that her friend's full name, which is Annie Christina Burisim, was almost identical to that of a journalist in the United States who, who had been investigating renditioning flights throughout Presswick Airport. So the family were so like freaked out by this that they actually stepped back from their campaign for a while. I'm also going to tell you the week before she died, because I actually haven't mentioned that yet and I don't have a lot of information about it, but there is some key bits here. So on the 27th of November, Annie phoned Maria and they spoke for almost an hour, but Maria assumed that Annie was calling from Linton Court Apartments. However, there is no record of it on their call list, like the apartment's call list. So we actually don't know where um, Annie was phoning Maria from on this call. At lunchtime on the 1st of December, Maria called Annie on her mobile but got no reply. And Annie said that she was going to the pool into a work fair and later she was going to Murrayfield Warriors Rugby Club, where she often actually hung out and socialised. So Maria was not like particularly concerned about this. However, within the family, there was growing worries about Annie's demeanour during recent phone calls. There also seemed to be, as someone has quoted, like two Annie. So the first was Annie, who was paying her rent up front and buying leisure cards like hanging out with her friends and stuff however there was another version of her who the same member of staff yesterday police she had seen her last said that um when she was like you know the one that said that they saw her at 115 on the 3rd of december that was going to glasgow also informed police that annie had been depressed about a relationship with a man but hadn't wanted to talk about it annie apparently told someone at the linson court that she had to take care of something and had made a decision that might change her life now, I don't really know who this woman is. Like, she seems to be, like, the kind of hotel, re- the flats receptionist. So I don't know how she's known all this stuff. But anyway, around 5.30pm on Friday the 2nd of December, so the day before she left Edinburgh, she turned up unexpectedly at the Scots Whiskey Heritage Centre on the Royal Mile where she had worked. As I said, she had her scholarship there. And the first person to see her was actually her friend and former colleague, Kat. And at first, Kat thought Annie was her usual, happy, talkative self, like... It all seemed fine. Um, now, there was a final conversation with a friend in Sweden, not Maria, um, between 6pm and 8pm that night. Now, Annie told her that she was going to a party in Edinburgh and that it was due to start at 10 o'clock. Now, Annie seemed positive about the party, but didn't really say anything about it. No one has ever came forward to say if they were at this party. No one has ever said, this was the party I was at, like I was there. Like, I saw her, like, people have said, like, well, if you were at that party, like, you don't, you've not done anything wrong, but can you just tell us what the party was about? Nothing. Nothing has ever um, came forward about it. And then she had a phone call with her mum. And just after she'd saw Kat at 6.15, she took a call from mum in Sweden. And her mum was quite concerned about this call because her whole demeanour kind of changed. And she was just basically like, oh, I can't talk right now. Like, and she'd said she was still with Kat at the time. And she's just like, her mum was like, we're quite worried about you. And 
Annie just said that she had to take care of herself. What does that mean? Because obviously her mum was like, what does that mean as well? Her mum wasn't too sure either. Yeah, so that was the last thing she kind of said, take care of herself. So that could mean anything. That could be going home. That could have been like trying to escape. Could have been anything. Now, her mum's actually made a website called AnnieRockstar.com that I went on and had a look at earlier. And it's basically, they have a really good bit because I've got information in English as well. And it's basically just a website saying everything's happened and looking for information. However, there was a part on the website that I'm going to have to talk to you about because I actually don't, like, it just makes my whole body, like, shiver. So while visiting Scotland in December 2006, someone told Annie's mum that Annie's hair still exists. So Annie's grandmother is now offering a reward to the individual that has Annie's hair. No way. So Annie was going to give, Annie's grandmother was going to give Annie 50,000 Swedish crowns towards her wedding. So she's now offering that amount to the individual that will give them Annie's hair back. So her hair, they'd said, her mum said when they got the hair back, it had been chopped off into bunches of 5 to 15 centimetre lengths remaining on her hair. This means 60 to 70 centimetres of her hair is missing. Bloody hell. Which, Didn't think this could get any weirder. Like, it's weird, isn't it? So, And the fact that somebody, I don't know who, has told her mum that the hair is still about. Like, but also if you've got hair, what are you doing with it? Yeah. Like, that's weird. Anyway. In 2020, that's the last kind of thing I read. There was an article that came out there. Family are asking for the post-mortem photos from Police Scotland so they can start piecing things together. However, Police Scotland have said that Annie's death was fully investigated at the time and has also been subject to review. The family highlight the fact that they were never granted an inquest known as a fatal accident inquiry in Scotland. So they basically said that from the start they lost kind of faith in that when it was published in the paper that it was a suicide before it was ever even investigated and before the autopsy results were even out and unfortunately that is where this case kind of ends Annie's death is still classed as suicide and honestly I don't know I honestly don't yeah there's so many things like if you like I couldn't believe for a case that's so old if you still google it there is so much stuff out there and it's just crazy. Like, it is absolutely crazy. And, like, most people say that the mysterious death of the woman. And it's basically, like, there's been so many conspiracy theories as well. Like, I was like, oh, I could do loads of conspiracy theories. But I'm not going to do that. But I do feel like Scottish police and Scottish press actually made a lot of mistakes here. Yeah, it, they're treating it like it's a cover-up. It's like, you know, the police did something. Oh, we need to cover up all of this. Mm-hmm. oh it was a suicide you're mm-hmm. like what yeah like I just actually like can't believe it like I can't believe that I've never heard of this as well yes well it was 2005 if you think about it I know so but it's like can, 16 yeah. years ago that's just crazy but yeah it's just crazy but it's basically yeah so I was like reading some things about conspiracy theory and some of it's saying like that her death is considered classified as a secret by the Swedish Foreign Ministry. And it's just like, it's crazy. It's saying that Scotland, that information that, yeah, so there was a part, let me get it, it said that, um, yeah, that 
the information concerns Swedish relations with a foreign state and a foreign authority. So it's all these conspiracy theories about it. But it just doesn't, like, it sounds so horrible, but, like, she wasn't, like, she was a normal person. She didn't have a suspicious job. She didn't do it. She was, like, just kind of pottering around or there's just loads that nobody knows. But her mum is still, as I said, she made that website. She's still so, so invest. But there's still so many things about it just being, like, a mysterious death. And it's just crazy that there is, there's never been, like, well, it's not been investigated. It has never actually opened up into an investigation. Ever. And it's it never will. No. It's just been ruled as a suicide. Well, it's 16 years now. So even then, like, I don't know if, like, the fibres have been checked. Like, it's just absolutely mad that it's still never been looked at. Like, it just, yeah. I don't know. What's your thoughts? Do you think it is suicide or do you think it's something else? It, I feel it's something else. It doesn't all add up. Like, it's suspicious as anything. And, yeah, maybe she was in, da- not in danger, but she got into some something bad. But, yeah, it just doesn't add up at all. And, yeah. Yeah, I think, I do think it is. There's a lot of weird circumstances around it. And if it was suicide, it is very bizarre. But I do think with the length of time, way too long has gone now. And, you know, I think there's this is the most unanswered questions I've ever had. Like, even from the basics of, like, the CCTV was all so confusing. Like, how did she get to Glasgow? Why was she at Presswick? Like, so many questions. And I just think there's, unfortunately, too much time's passed. And I think it'll just kind of be one of those annoying things that is never answered. 